All right, thanks everybody for tuning in to the Shore Thing. Warren Shore here with Ryan Silva as it is Friday, so that means we are going to be recording right now. Still no word when we will be on Talk Radio 1190. Haven't seen uh, an email come through, but when that happens, be sure to ch- uh, checking out Twitter, the Shore Thing, uh, and we will let you know when we are back uh, on the air. As now it is May 1st, so you know what that means. Texas is now open. Yep. After they reported the most coronavirus cases and most deaths in Dallas County yesterday. So seems like a great time to be partially uh, reopening. But Ryan, how was uh, your week since we've talked on Monday? Uh, about the same as the last six weeks. Uh, just a whole lot of hanging out, a whole lot of uh, that's about it. You know, I can't really – there, there hasn't been too much going on. You know, I wish I had more to report. Uh, but, uh, unfortunately, there, there just isn't anything uh, anything going on here on this side. What about you? Obviously, you had some stuff going on this week. Yeah, I got out of the house uh, this week. I had the uh, – um, hold on. First, before we get into that. Okay, so things are, op- are starting to reopen. Restaurants opening up 25%. Are you going to go out to a restaurant, do you think, or not? No, I don't think so. I don't yeah. think so. I mean – just because, uh, you know, like I said before, my biggest worry is just uh, making sure Jamie stays out of the clear. And, you know, yeah. we've, we've been fine this far, you know, going out uh, or not having not going out and not needing to go out. So I really don't see any or any reason to just yet until, you know, there's a firm grasp on things. We are starting at baseball soon, um, starting next week. Like, I'll be coaching and stuff, but it'll be on a limited basis, only, like, four players per practice. And then we don't know when games are going to start, so that'll be a little odd um, doing that. But, you know, take all the necessary precautions needed. Yeah, because um, I was just wondering if you were going to go out. I'm definitely not going to a sit-down restaurant. And honestly, I don't know how many of them are really going to be open because if you're operating at 25% capacity and, like, you still, rather than do the carryout, you're going to have to bring in sm- – like some actual servers rather than mm-hmm. just like that doesn't seem like a viable business strategy to just be operating at 25 percent we'll see the good thing is going to be there and if you you could just do carry out continue to do carry out which you've been doing and know what your clientele is probably going to be and what you need rather than just all right operate at a loss right and but see i i've heard that quite a bit as well um the I guess you could say positive thing for for restaurant owners is those servers are making like two dollars and thirteen cents an hour. So it's not really a whole lot of money coming out of your pocket because right now I believe from what I've seen like on a couple of Facebook groups and things like that is um, servers that are working as carryout people they're making at least minimum wage if not more on top of their tips. So it's actually going to reduce a little bit of uh, overhead for owners, but I agree, you know, you don't know how many people are going to go out. I guarantee you like where I'm at in McKinney, Frisco, kind of Northern part of, of the Metroplex, there's going to be a ton of people flocking out to, to restaurants. I won't be surprised if there's, you know, waiting lists just because of how kind of how things have been going around here and how people have really not, I don't, I don't want to say haven't taken it seriously because they have, um, but just kind of, you know, they're, they're all on this train too, that they want to, they want to reopen Texas and get things rolling again. Well, everybody just wants to for this to be over. And with no like end day in sight, it's just like, all right, I've grown tired of doing this. I want to get back to normal. Fine. I think the people are like, I don't really care 
if I get the disease. I think it's the invincible. It's everyone seems invincible. Like that's the uh, I I'm not going to get the disease, and if I do, I'll be fine. But you don't really know if you're going to get the disease if you're going to be fine. Like yeah, you probably are going to be fine, but there's also like a small percentage of the population who are thinking I'm going to be fine that go to the hospital, potentially have to go be on a ventilator. Like you just don't know how your body is going to react if you get the virus. Right. Um, and yeah, everyone's really tired. I think Dallas is going to be like packed. I think all around the state, there are going to be a handful of people or a lot of people that are so tired. They're going to go out and about and it's going to be crowded. Uh, and then there's a lot of people that are cautious too. Like all the polls say, like 75% of the people don't think that things should be reopening. But there's also going to be the people in the minority that are going to go out and get on their lives. And like last Friday, I drove up to my parents' house. The roadway, I went at like 3 o'clock. The tollway was packed. Yeah. I was still pretty surprised. Um, but yeah, um, so we'll see how things goes. But uh, yeah, my week we had the Merido Samaritan Fund Invitational which I've mentioned I've caddied at Merido a handful of times uh, on the show. It was a golf tournament um, with some pros, 51 pros, and then the rest of the field, 20, uh, 20 members. Uh, there were some members that played in the event as well, and it was to raise money for the full-time or for the caddies uh, at the course, mainly the full-time caddies at the course because they haven't had any work since the course closed uh, or stopped caddies, I want to say around like March uh, like 20th, I think, 21st, somewhere right around there, I think they stopped uh, caddies so over a month. And April is like one of the busiest months. End of March into April, this is prime season for the caddies at Merido. So the owner, Albert Huddleston, uh, and Mrs. Morrison, one of the uh, members uh, there she put on there. They came together to put on the Samaritan fund. And I think the pool, the pot money for, uh, the caddies is close to $30,000, I think, because Damn. it was 18,000. Oh, so everyone paid a $250 entry fee. Um, so there were 71 people in it. So times that by two fifty, you get to $18,000. Scotty Scheffler won the event. We'll get into the event here in a second, but he donated his $9,000 of winnings to the pot uh harry higgs i think was he also he got fourth i don't know what fourth got but he donated his winnings uh to the caddy fund so it's probably close to around somewhere of thirty thousand dollars uh which is gonna help out a lot of the caddies for sure um which is good but it was a good event um and it took the golf world kind of by storm uh like everyone's just clamoring for live sports. So it took the golf world. It was the talk of the golf world uh, on Monday when it happened. Romo played in it. Um, he was one of the members that played in it. Um, Darren Williams played in it. Marty Turco played in it. Um, and all the other uh, guys that golf at Merida all the time members you played in it uh, as well. Some of the pros, Scotty Scheffler, who I mentioned, he won. Will Zal Torres played in it. Victor Hovland, former USAM champ, played in it. Davis Riley, uh, Harry Higgs. Those were like the, the big name uh, pros that played in it. 
Yeah, no, that's cool. Uh, you know, they're able to to put some money together. It sounds like quite a bit of money for those caddies. Um, so, you know, like you said, some live sports. We were able to follow along with it. Uh, you know, he sent me a link, sent me a couple of leads on uh, uh, some some things I could go to the window with that ended up making money. So hats off to you. little insider trading there, uh, which I appreciate. But, uh, no, yeah, I mean, that, that, that's, that's cool that, you know, it could kind of kill two birds with one stone, kind of take people's minds off this stuff, get some live sports cooking, and then, you know, raise some money for some people that need it. Yeah, and so what the deal was is you couldn't, the flags had to stay in at all times. Um, there was one official scorer with every group who was doing the live scoring. And then that person, usually a caddy. So the caddies were usually the live scorers and they would carry the rake and they would rake the bunker. If someone was in, was raking the bunker. Now there were a couple instances where a couple of caddies forgot to rake the bunker. So oh. the person, a couple groups behind them had to come in and rake the bunker but to my knowledge didn't hurt anyone but yeah so a couple people might have been sleeping on the job a little bit i don't know hate to see it hate to see it um um but yeah so the caddy raked the bunkers they're like what are they gonna do about the bunker so every caddy had a rake you had to carry the rake for 18 holes which seems like a pain it wasn't bad um and so that was it and a bunch of top college guys played in the elite flight uh as well um so you did that and the problem was though so on tuesday it was pretty windy but wednesday it was super super windy it's howling one of the windiest days i've ever seen out there and so the flags were like bending over like they're the flimsy flags and they were whipping and they were bending over and on Tuesday, it was pretty windy, and the flags were moving. I'm like, how are you going to hit a putt with the flag in? And the flag is, like, at a three-fourths angle, just, like, almost hitting me in the face or whatever. I was like, man, that's got to be so distracting. I was psyched out, and I wasn't even playing. I was like, man, this has got to be tough. So then Tuesday, they said, you can – the person with the rake can stand and hold the flag up with the rake while you're putting to make it straight up. And the thing, too, is if the putt hits the flag – it's could probably if it's like this way coming to it where it's leaning over, it's not gonna go in because it's just gonna stop it outside the hole. Right. Like how far it's over. So you you had to stand with the rake if they wanted you to and like hold the flag up. I did it once and that was like one of the most nervous, like I was like, Don't move, don't move, don't move to holding the flag up while there's a big gust, like, please don't move, like don't affect the shadow around the hole, all this stuff. It was nerve-wracking as heck. A couple of the players I was talking to yesterday I was with, uh, Austin Eckroat, he said, I was like, did you use the rake at all with the flag? And he said, no. He goes, the flag was hitting me in the face a couple of times Jeez. while I was putting. And he goes, it was, he goes, I didn't, the rake, I was like, I didn't know what to do. Like, do I want the rake there person and have the caddy hold? Like, he goes, I didn't know what to do. I was like, fine, we'll do it. But yeah, the flag was hitting him in the face uh, a couple of times. But uh, yeah, that was pretty nuts, the flag going over um, and that. Uh, but the tournament, the usual suspects were at the top of the leaderboard. There were a couple of helicopters. No media was allowed there. Um, so they had a videographer there who would give video. And some of it, I think, was on the Golf Channel. But there were a couple times on Tuesday and then yesterday that, like, a couple helicopters flew over. And then I think there was a couple of caddies said there was, like, a drone trying to get some footage of this thing. Right on. 
which is pretty nuts that you're gonna go rent someone's gonna and and, and they weren't like news choppers because right. they have the news they have the logo on the news choppers right so it's easy to spot like oh what is that but no there are a couple helicopters I'm like who is getting a helicopter right now who is this person that's trying to get a helicopter of the footage but so yesterday i was in the second to last group um which was Austin Ekro, Quade Cummings, and Cooper Dossie, three guys. Uh, one's at, the first at Oklahoma State, second Oklahoma, the third at Baylor. I was playing. We were behind Victor Hovland, Scotty uh, Wills Altors, and uh, Taylor Moore. Hovland and Zaltors yesterday both shot 65, and they were going. They were going blow for blow for it. They lost by Scheffler by one to Scheffler by one. Mm. And watching those guys up close, like from a group behind or whatever it was it was amazing it was, it was like seeing pro golfers uh, up close is a different like inside the ropes thing is a, is a totally different experience yeah like Hovland who won the USAM and then who won in Puerto Rico this year he's definitely going to be he's a rising star I mean he already is a star people know he is but he's going to be so good he's in he's from Norway him just after the first day, he shot like 75, got the rust off. He goes 69, 65. Everything he was hitting was to like 10 feet yesterday, 10, 15 feet. He's like, like was not missing an iron shot. And I was just like, this is unbelievable. And then Crizal Torres, credit to him. He went toe-for-toe with them, uh, and they shot the same score. He uh, nipped them by one, um, so he got second. But he was going shot for shot. It was, it was good to watch. It was cool to watch from a group behind. Yeah, you always, uh, you know, I'm sure you know this more than more than uh, me for sure, but more than a lot of people out there that might be listening. Um, like you said, seeing these pros in action, you realize how hard golf is, but it always seems easier because of how easy they make it seem. You know what I mean? Like, like I said, just just throwing darts out there, ten feet within the pin, and you're just like, it, it, you know, it looks so easy. Why can't I do that? Sure, anybody can do that, but you realize what kind of craft and work this really goes into. And that's always fun when you get to get up close to things like that. I mean, you know, even, you know, you can compare it to like a guy going taking BP before a game where his stroke just looks nice and smooth, not like he's swinging out of his shoes and he's putting it 400 feet into the bleachers. You know what I mean? So things like that. Or when you see Steph Curry chucking it up from uh, the stands and he, you know, it's going in, you know, that's how you know when somebody's really good at something, you know, I'm not saying these guys are great or, you know, obviously they're, they're, they're good golfers, but when they make it look incredibly easy, uh, that's how you know that uh, you know they're usually pretty good at what they're doing. Yeah, there was one. It was hole. They played it as hole fourteen, but it was hole two. It was like a two hundred and fifteen yard par three downhill kind of win, and he stuck it to like four feet. Like it never left the flag. It was like four feet, and like the after the round, the, when the members got done, they started following. Everybody was keeping social distance out there, so that was another thing. Like each player was allowed one guest. Mm-hmm. Um, but obviously everyone was like six feet away and all that, the whole thing throughout the whole tournament. And everyone's just like, holy cow, like everyone knows, but the pin was back left, brutal pin. They hit it. It just makes it so effortless. It was, it was uh, good. But then Scotty Scheffler, like I said, he won. He's on an all-world level. And some of the players out there were saying he's just, after he won, they were walking back and they were like, you could hear him talking. They're like, he's just too good. He is just too, too good out there. And I'm, I, he's playing, he said he's playing in Colonial. I think he's going to win Colonial or he's going to get a top five. And I'll say right now, he's going to, he's, he's going to win majors very soon. The kid is so good. He hits it as good as anybody on tour. 
his putting's fine, his chipping's getting better, and he's he's just he's a stud. He is, as the pros say, he's just too good. You heard it here first, former uh, master or excuse me, uh, future Masters winner. Uh yeah, no, seriously, I looked at the. I thought he was in the Masters field because I was the odds are up for the Masters. I was going to put something down on him today for the Masters. Because I think he's they've played it. He's played Augusta a couple times when he went to uh, UT. I think like the lowest or the highest round he shot is like sixty nine or something. Nice. Obviously, different, different uh, circumstances. Different circumstances in a tournament, but they said the course just suits him perfect and he feels comfortable out there. So, uh, yeah, get those odds on it. But he is going to be something to watch um, out there. But there was. There are things that I want to touch on. So the PGA Tour uh, said they're coming back June 11th with, at Colonial. That's their first tournament. Mm. There are – golf is, as we've said, probably the what we thought was going to be the first sport bet. But NASCAR is coming back. We'll get to that in a second. This tournament is definitely – like, eyes were on it to see how you could do a tournament. It is very – to me, it's – like the Corn Ferry Tour and the Mini Tours have it easier running a tournament than the Tour because the Tour is a made for TV entertainment event. So obviously, right. there's more people. You got cameramen, all, all the people that are with the Tour event. But there's things that they could do of like, I've seen people like, what are they going to do about the bunkers? Well, you just designate one person for each group to rake the bunkers, just walk with the group. Yeah. It's very easy. And so, at the thing too, they have the electronic scoring. With shot link, you could have the person raking the bunker do the electronic scoring. Because I've done the electronic scoring before. It's very easy. You click, a, you click a couple buttons or whatever. I bet it's changed a little bit, but and then you move on. But you could do both while it's going on. You can score and do the raking of the bunker. Now, the only problem is, is the pros are very particular how the bunkers are raked. You always push out. You never push it. If you, if you push in, you always got to push the sand out so there's none of the rake marks there so if you get some some people that don't know how to rake bunkers i could already see this coming well we got a bad i could hear i got a bad rake job a hundred times throughout a broadcast so you got to get people that know like how to rake a bunker properly because they're going to be very particular about how it's done that's like the only thing about the raker that i could see causing problems but they'll you know what you just got to deal with it but it's very easy for you to stay distant. The only thing is, though, like the caddy golfer thing when you're standing next to each other, I think people might just have to get over that. Yeah. Like you're just, they're just going to have to deal with it. That's on the course, you're just going to have to deal with it. But there were no caddies in this event. So you didn't need to do that. Or you just say, hey, you don't get a caddy and you just got to play on your own. But I don't think that many tour guys would be down for that. So, but there are things to be learned from the Merido tournament. That are definitely easier to give on the Corn Ferry Tour and the other mini tours going on than the PGA Tour. But the PGA Tour can still look at some of the things they did here and practice that. And there's also one of the things I thought about is like, are they going to make them play with the pins in on the tour, do you think? Like, they have to stay in? Um, I don't know. I think if... I think there's a couple different ways that you can go about it. I mean, maybe just like you designate somebody to uh, rake, you just designate a, uh, a, yeah. a a flag puller or whatever, you know, pin puller. Uh, so I think that's the best way to go about it because um, 
I mean, I don't know. I don't know personally. I'm sure you probably know better, but I, I doubt a lot of guys like putting with the flag in. You know what I mean? Just because there, there is some variable in there that maybe that ball looks like it's going in and you know hits the flag and ends up falling out or something. You know, I, I, I don't know like how how often that occurs. But uh, you know, when you're playing for millions of dollars, you don't want to leave anything to chance. So just designate a guy to to always pull the uh, the same flag over and over again. I've seen a couple little contraptions on uh, on Instagram and the internet where you can just kind of use your club and it pulls it up. Um, to get the but, ball out? Yeah, to get the ball out. But again, I guess that's just going to leaving the pin in. So yeah, just designate somebody. I mean, I don't think no, that's really what that I was thinking. I think pros don't mind putting with the pin in like on a long putt. Yeah. Like five feet and then 10 feet, I think they all want to know. Um, and yeah, so what they did too, they have these little stoppers in the cup, um, like some pipes or like a pool noodle in there. So the ball doesn't go all the way down to the hole. So you're not fishing around. So it goes like halfway down. So it's easier to pick up. Yeah. They put that in the hole. Yeah. Uh, when I hear- was, oh, go ahead. Oh, sorry. What, go- no, no. no it's just when I, when I went golfing a couple weeks ago, they had just the whole. Uh, cup out and so you just rolled it right up next to the cup it hit it and then you picked up your ball and kept going I doubt they want to do something like that um, just because you know do you say anytime the ball hits the the cup it's good um, because you know you can have the ball just kind of nick it and then you can say hey look that ball hit the cup that should be good right you know and when in uh, actuality if that if the the cup was buried it wouldn't have gone in yeah there's no way they're doing that on tour the cups are going to be in the hole they'll just have something else like a device in there um, did you hear about the speed hole in one no, I didn't. So he he played yesterday as like a marker. I didn't. He didn't play in the tournament because I think he had like a PGA advisory board meeting or something on Tuesday, so he he couldn't get a switch or something, so he didn't play. But he played yesterday with Romo, Paul Stankowski, and one of his teammates who was in the field from UT, former teammates from UT, uh, and so on. What was number seventeen yesterday, but normally number fourteen. He uh, hit it, flew directly into the hole, but they had like little PVC pipe or whatever in as a stopper mm-hmm. for the hole so it doesn't go all the way to the ground. Hit that, went up the flag stick, landed then on the green, and then spun back into the water. Wow. Into the water? <laughs> yes. Spun I, back into the water. I thought you were going to say spun back into the hole. No, spun back into the water. So Jordan said he's going to count it as an ace because there's like a scuff. Uh, someone tweeted out a picture of the ball and there was a scuff on the ball from the pipe. And they said like the PVC pipe or whatever was in the hole flew up like three fourths of the way on the flag stick. Uh-huh. Um, and there was a scuff on that. And so he said, he's going to count it as an ace. Romo said, you can count it as an ace, but in our bet you're not counting that as a hole in one um because they were in the same group and they had a bet going um but uh yeah so he made an ace air quotes around it i think i don't know there's i don't want to say there's an asterisk around it but there's explaining to do for that hole in one yeah i mean i think uh you know depending on how much cash they had going on it's um you know, I think if like if it was me with my boys or something, we we could all ag- agree that that was an ace. I mean, especially if you dunk it in. You know, if it like you said, if if it was any other situation where we weren't where we're at right now, that thing probably would have stuck in there, right? So yeah, that's no, a- that's what they were saying. They were like, it was probably going to be in if because it hit the 
it landed into the into the pipe, and that's what caused it to shoot out. Yeah. So how about that? How about getting a hole in one and losing the ball? That's tough. I mean, not like he, he got the ball know, back. Oh, he did. Yeah, it just rolled in, so they were able to. You were able to get it back. I mean, not like he's you know probably hurting for for golf balls or anything, but you know, for, as a guy that loses a lot of balls, I, that that kind of hurt me for a second when he told me that. Uh, I could tell you he's not hurting for golf balls. <laughs> um, he's got a ton at his house, but yeah, no, it was a good event. Uh, director of golf, uh, Mark Welgus. He was like, "Are you going to talk about this on your show?" I go, "Yeah, we're going to talk about it." He did a good job putting it on. Uh, everybody at Merido did a good job uh, putting it on. And uh, I think we're back to work tomorrow. Nice. Sorry. So uh, the, the guy that you just uh, mentioned, is he he kind of puts on all the tournaments and stuff? Uh, no. Well, uh, there's another guy that is like the tournament director, one of the assistant uh-huh. pro Wade. But uh, Mark Welgus, he's like the director of golf. So he's the – of the ranking of the PGA, like – professionals of mm-hmm. the course not like the touring pros but like he's the top he pretty much runs the course and he, he does he listen to the show sometimes yeah he follows us on twitter oh all right so sounds like we're playing in the next celebrity pro-am <laughs> yeah, I, I, maybe i don't know i mean uh, media did. personalities on the first well hey if he hears this you never know on the first <laughs> hole or on the first round uh when i get up to do the scoring uh, he saw me. He goes, man, didn't even bother to trim your beard up for this. <laughs> I go, embracing the quarantine life. Got to hide the hide the pounds behind the uh, hide the extra face behind the behind the beard. And he started laughing. And uh, but yeah, look, a lot of people, a lot of golfers out there rocking the uh, quarantine beards. Yeah, no, uh, they're they're in full effect all over. For sure. But yeah, no, that was funny. Uh, by him, but it was a good time. Got to caddy for my guy, or be in the group for my man who I talked about, Doctor Lissy. On uh, when was that Wednesday? That was a that was a fun round around there. All right. Um. So now, so now we head to. Uh, I feel like this this weekend news for sports was like good news and then bad news. Yeah. Or it's a lot of like uncertainty. Like baseball yeah. came out. Bob Nightingale from USA Today says we're aiming to play in June, like beginning or middle of June, and it's the the division. So pretty much every team in the uh, NL East is in the NL or in the East division, except for the the Braves. They swap with the Pirates, which to me doesn't make a lot of sense, but okay. Then the Central division is everybody in the Central uh, switch the Pirates for the Braves. Then everybody in the West is in the West. And they play in um they put did they they play in their home stadiums, right? Yeah, yeah, they'll be playing in their home stadiums. And so the the idea is just to kind of keep everyone kind of centralized, you know, because we talked about when you got when you split them up to um Arizona or Florida, you know, guys are away from their families and their homes for a long time. So they'll still play at home. But what the the whole idea is, it's splitting up into these three kind of districts, I guess, or I guess divisions, you can call them. It's just kind of keep everything as close as possible. So you're not traveling around a whole lot and just trying to, you know, trying to stay on one track, I guess. Yeah, look, this is kind of this is kind of what I mentioned about, like the dome teams or whatever, a little different. But. Like I think, like any idea, I think is fine. But saying you're going to start in June, I think that's ridiculous. And then saying you're going to have a 60 day modified postseason, um, yeah. With 
I, they didn't really give specifics on how many teams in each division were going to make the playoffs, but they were going to say this World Series was going to end before Thanksgiving or around Thanksgiving. Um, look, I think this is probably the best idea they've come up with, but I just don't think it's very feasible that one, the target date of June is going to, is going to happen. Yeah, I, I think that because what I saw most recently, probably about an hour ago uh, or so, so you might not have seen this, was that they're they're shooting for the end of June, um, and then they're going to try to squeeze in about a hundred games. So you know, end of June, so you got July, August, September, October, November, five months to play 160 games. If you're, or excuse me, not 160 games, but 100 games, and then you said a 60 day playoff. I think that's pretty good and if you're shooting for the end of june i'm sure guys are starting to get you know back in shape or have been getting in shape or whatever so that once uh you know it's time to, to roll out the ball outs and and get the first pitch going they'll be ready so you know we've already seen nba the nba start opening up facilities i wouldn't be surprised if we start seeing the same with uh mlb you know to let guys go hit I, wherever these guys are they, they have places to throw up uh, where i coach we've had probably about five or six pro ball guys coming in throwing just to stay loose uh, that are from the McKinney Frisco area that have played with, with the frozen ropes before they got drafted. There's been a couple guys with the Marlins that have been in there. Uh, this a guy that plays with the, with the uh, Mets. And so, you know, there, there, there's pro guys that are, they're throwing actual bullpens. Now, are they going hundred percent? Probably not. They're probably sitting around 70, 80% throwing. So, you, you know, it's May 1st right now. We got eight weeks till the, to the end of June. I think that's plenty of time. That's about as long as spring training usually is, you know, to get guys in shape. Yeah, no, but are, are like the restrictions in the States that games are going to be played? Like, are they going to be lifted for them to play? Yeah, I don't know. That's, that's a whole nother, you know, thing that they're going to have to tackle. Um, Cause like Arizona, I know they just extended their stay at home for another two weeks, which they were about two or three weeks behind us anyway. Oh, you know, when we were locked down, um, people were going out to the lakes and, and doing everything they could out in Arizona. I was just sitting here shaking my head um, watching that happen. And so now they're feeling the ramifications of that. If they would have been locked up, you know, again, obviously maybe we're opening up a little too early. But like I said, they just got extended. I know California, I've heard that they're going to extend it. I heard they're going to lift it. So, you know, we'll see, especially California being such a big state. Uh, that'll definitely be a, a – a key state to be involved here, obviously. Would they have what five or six teams? They have four. No, they have the Padres, both five. LA teams, the Giants, and the A's. They so yeah, five. five. Yeah. Um, Do you forget about the Padres? Yes. Um, <laughs> uh, but also, what? So the thing is now. So NASCAR coming back to me makes sense. Mm-hmm. The only thing is, like, the crew members, you have to distance on that. But, like, no fans there. Auto racing, you're in a car the whole time. Like, just the logistics of it from the point of racing makes a lot of sense. Like, they're yeah. coming back. The, the first one back. I feel like then when golf comes back in June, again, makes a lot of sense. There is going to be a race for these leagues to come back, especially baseball, because they need the gate money the most, I feel like. What happens if you rush to come back and then a player tested positive for Corona? What do you, do you shut the whole league down? Probably. So what is the point of like rushing back? Cause the thing is you can't just say, Oh, this player is quarantined for 14 days. 
Because guess what? He's infected here. He's been around everybody on his team. Yeah. So you just say, hey, guess what? The whole team, the whole 25 man and coaches are gone. Triple A boys, come on up. You're coming in and you're playing with for the whatever team, X team. For that, like, what are you going to, are players just going to say, oh, who cares? I'll go out there and play still. But then what about the players on the other team? They're going to be like, I don't want you coming around me. Yeah. So the point is, like, what happens when someone tests positive for Corona? Like, that's going to just stop the whole thing. And you're going to look, you're going to, the, there's so much egg on your face if you rush back and a player tests positive. You're going to shut the whole thing down again. You pretty much have to. I think it's going to be one of those cases of let's see how much we can get away with. You know what I mean? Like, you know, when you're a little kid, hey, I'm going to go sneak in and, and grab one cookie from the cupboard before lunch or before dinner. Hey, I'm going to go and try and grab two. I'm going to go try and grab three. Let's see how much I can get away with before something happens. Now is the right, is that the right, uh, you know, train of thought or the right attitude? Probably not because you're putting lives at risk. You're putting people at risk to, to catch this. Um, so, you know, like, like, you know, perfect example, Trey Mancini, who unfortunately he just tested, you know, uh, uh, gave, was given a diagnosis of colon cancer. Like if he gets, if he got Corona before he realized his diagnosis, like it would have been curtains for him. Like it would have been game over. And so, you know, guys are going through stuff like that that maybe they don't know about yet. Um, so yeah, you are putting lives at risk. You are putting people's health at risk for sure. But again, you know, cash is king and that dollar reigns supreme. And when, when the, when the other, when the players and owners are both clamoring for it, chances are, you know, there's not going to be anybody fighting against it. So you're going to have to do what you got to do. And, you know, all the commissioners, they work for the owners. So if if your boss is telling you you need to do something, you're going to try and find the best way to do it, whether right or wrong, I think. Yeah. No, I agree. But I, I just still think, like, no one has – there's all these plans for coming back. But in all these plans for coming back, they haven't listed out what is going to happen if a player tests positive for corona. Yeah. And if I think if they said that, I'd just be like, okay – this is feasible. Like you, like there's all this energy for coming back, and when a player does, because a player is going to, what happens? I feel like that is the biggest unknown question. I mean, we all think you're just going to have to shut down again. Like I've thought about this a lot. Like I know Rudy Gobert acted like the coronavirus, like a fool. Uh-huh. But if he didn't test positive at that day, I feel like. It would have been a week and a half later, two weeks later, when we really would have understood how serious this was. And things would have been a lot worse. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. The best thing that could have happened was Rudy Gobert testing positive when he did. Um, because for that reason, yeah, I mean, I'm sure uh, I know for a fact, I mean, just the way this thing kind of went, that tons more people would have would have caught it and tons more players would have got it. Um uh, so, you know, it was kind of a, a blessing in disguise that he did test positive when he did. You know, obviously he gets blamed for, for getting things shut down, which that was going to happen eventually anyway. But then acting like a dingus the way he did didn't help his situation. But like I said, he, that, that probably ended up saving quite a few people. Yeah, no, uh, I would agree. I think it did for sure. But that's an interesting one. The NHL said, I th- well, the thing too is like, are you like with the NBA arenas now? So shifting to that. How are you going to let someone in Texas go to the arena in San Antonio or the training facility in Dallas, Houston, when they're allowed to, but you're not going to let someone who plays for the Knicks or the Nets or the Bulls or all the other teams that are staying 
that states aren't allowing these things to open. Like, that's an unfair. That's yeah, the competitive balance. The, other yeah. Teams. the competitive balance definitely gets thrown out, and I've heard that quite a bit as well. And I haven't come up with with a good explanation or a good way around it uh, either. But again, if you're playing in the NBA, if you're playing in the MLB, like there's going to be facilities somewhere that you can find a place to bounce a base or bounce a basketball, get up a few shots. Now, are you getting in the cardio? Now you're probably gonna have to be doing that on your own. You know, are you getting in game shape? Probably not. But just staying fresh, I guess, you know, as far as the handles go, as far as the shot goes, when it comes to throwing, you know, pitchers, keeping your arm in shape, you know, fielders throwing, keeping your arm in shape and getting that, getting your swings in. They're finding cages. They're finding places to throw. You know, you look at Joe Kelly, he's throwing baseballs through his window at home. So he's still finding a way to keep his arm in shape. Um, but uh, as far as, I mean, the NBA already said, too, when, when they do open up these facilities, it's not going to be team practices. It's going to be a couple guys here here and there at a time. Uh, you know, that's probably like a wink-wink type of deal because who's going to be the one uh, facil- – who's going to be the one, you know, regulating that. But like you said, it is a, com- a, a unfair competitive advantage for team facilities to be opened. But again, like I've said a, a few times already, guys are finding a way. If, if they really want to, they're finding a way to, to, to get some shots up or, or keep their arm in shape. Yeah, and there comes to a point when just people are going to just, like, as I kind of said earlier, it's are you going to put – are you willing to put yourself at a, at a higher risk just wanting to get back to normal, just saying, like, who cares? Fine, whatever. Right. So it's, it's up to the per- – it's up to, like, that person if they're going to make – that decision or not so oh for sure people are gonna they're they're gonna do what they want regardless so you know whether you you can stop them or not uh if people want to go back in and you know get things going the way they were i mean shoot here in texas colleyville just last week was a uh, crazy opening, move was opening up and saying you know what screw it we've had enough of this and uh as bad as as bad as the quarantine haircut has been or excuse me the quarantine hair i thought about driving out there and getting a haircut my mask on or something but obviously i didn't but uh, that was a wild move. Um, How but, about you know, the like, woman that owned the salon in like North Dallas from Frisco yeah. that opened up on what Friday or Saturday, and she just ripped up to cease and desist and all this stuff like right in front of the cops, and they didn't even do anything. Yeah, like there comes to a point where, because then everyone was going to start doing this. Like salons are still closed for another what seventeen days or something. May eighteen. Yeah. yeah, May eighteen. Um, like people are just going to open up. Like if they see you're not going to do anything to them, like there has to be some penalty for doing that like you got to yeah. make an example of someone so the other people don't do that if yeah no absolutely um if they're doing that uh so that's the baseball their nascar we mentioned they're coming back i actually kind of look smart by nascar the race on sunday uh may 19th what was that may 19th yeah 17th 17th no 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 I yeah, yeah, it's that's it. That's it. Yeah. At 17th, 17th. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At Darlington. So they're racing Sunday. Then there's a Infinity race on Monday, a Truck Series race on Tuesday, and then they're racing another Cup Series event uh, on Wednesday night in prime time. That, I, that Wednesday night race gets some good ratings for sure, I think. And then I think the next week, or then the next week, yeah, they're going to be in Charlotte. They're still going to run the Coca Cola 600 the Sunday before Memorial Day. Then on Memorial Day, there'll be an Affinity race. Tuesday, there'll be a Truck Series race. And then Wednesday night, there'll be a NASCAR race. Yeah. So they're back. The Wednesday races for 
for NASCAR are going to be, I think, a big hit. People are going to watch. I don't know if people are going to be sitting down for all every lap, but they'll probably be pretty. They'll be gambled on a lot, I assume, and they'll be the only thing in town. And people clamoring for some type of sports will look to NASCAR. So they're capitalizing on where they can see them coming back right now, and they're 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 set to come back in uh, two weeks from Sunday. I gotta say, I've enjoyed the uh, the uh, i racing quite a bit. I've 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 put down some. I say I put down some money on them. I've I've done some DraftKings lineups with it. Um, I haven't actually bet on anybody, uh, you know, like through a book. Um, but it's kind of cool. Do I tune in and watch every lap? Definitely not. There's been some funny moments. Like last week, I forget who uh, dude was sitting in a, in his car racing, and then his daughter comes in and turns his TV off in the middle of his race. <laughs> by accident she was asking him a question he's like trying to get her out of there because obviously he's in the middle of a race and she had a remote in her hand pushes the power button and turns his tv off to his screen while he's watching and he freaks out i think he crashed or something like i said i forget who it was uh but there's just been funny moments like that some not so great moments with uh guys dropping some racial slurs uh oh, not, not not realizing that they are mic'd up um but uh it's it's, it's been kind of a cool cool like I guess alternative, and I think I think racing is the only one you could do that. Uh, you know, obviously MLB is doing their their players thing on Twitch, where guys are playing MLB the show, but where it's actually guys racing and your cars are acting like they would on a real track. I think it's been pretty cool. Yeah, Formula One is doing the same thing. Oh, really? I didn't know that. And they're having celebrities that have like the setups in their homes do it too. Oh wow! So, so like Ian. Ian Poulter has a couple set up in his house, so he's like racing with the F1 guys. Um, and I think in the first race, he like he like spun out a F1 racer dude, and he was like pissed at him. Uh, but yeah, so they're doing like a mix of celebrities and pros in one, and then I think they just have like the drivers in F1 races. Or I don't think Lewis Hamilton is doing it, but like there are F1 racers that are mixed in in it so they're doing that i think like every sunday now um, one thing i don't know now are they getting like the full prize money that they would if they won these regular races no i don't think so it's just for kind of like for for fun or you know some, yeah, they're, some money they're okay doing it for, i think there is some prize money but i think they're just doing it because they have nothing else to do yeah um but yeah so that's nascar uh coming back this week we do not have a game of the week uh we're gonna not watch a game uh, we didn't mention with Dalton the Cowboys Broncos shootout. And did you see his Twitter feed? He was watching that game back too. We've all probably thought of it because we were <laughs> thought we meant, he mentioned it with us. Yeah, that's what I was thinking too. Either he had already planned to watch it, or he thought about it because uh, uh, because he mentioned it here. But uh, yeah, he was tweet he was live tweeting it, and I was like, that sneaky little. I'll say. Guy, <laughs> yeah, no. uh, I, yeah, but yeah, that's funny. That's a sure, that's a sure thing. Assist right there. Yeah, I think we deserve some credit on that. Uh, so we could watch that one if you want. Yeah, no, I was. I remember watching. I was somewhere. I want to say that I was at a game that same day because I didn't get to watch it live. But I remember getting home for the end of it and watching uh, the Broncos end up winning. I, I, I got to look at, at when that happened because I might have been at a game. I might have been in Washington or something else. Um, I got to look. Is that 2013? That had to be 2013. That was the 2013. Um, I'm going to look that up and see what week that was. I'm looking it up right now. It was 
October 6th. What week? Week? Uh, week eight? No, it would be before that. Probably week five or six. Week five. Where was I at? 2013. Um, oh, the Redskins actually had a bye week that week. Where I was somewhere then. I I don't rem- I really don't remember this game at all. Really, I do. I do remember it because um, I remember. That's so weird. Where the hell was? See, that was seven years ago. Yeah, I have no idea. But I know for a fact I was somewhere. Because I was keeping up with it on my phone and like seeing that this. Oh, I, I remember now. I remember. I wasn't. I was at the state fair. <laughs> okay. Just kidding. Yeah, I was at the state fair. I remember that because I remember watching on my phone. Like, wow, this is actually happening. Um, and then uh, they ended up blowing it there at the end. Spoiler I mean, alert. I assume I was watching it. The Browns played on Thursday night. I was at Texas State. I just don't remember. I just don't remember anything about this game. Um, so, yeah, we could watch that one. Uh, we'll watch that for Monday. Uh, oh, Terry McCauley was the referee. Boy, but he made a lot of good decisions out there. Um, uh, yeah, so we'll, we'll watch that one for monday's show and then anything else do you want to touch on the cd lamb thing yeah because yeah because i'm kind of I, I i don't i don't agree with it like if i'm cd lamb like i'm pissed he's probably a little pissed too like he was he one of the first things he said after he was drafted was he was excited to come in and, and wear number 10 for whatever reason i don't know what reason that was but then jerry is like no you're gonna wear 88 because my old crusty friend that i knew passed away and his last name was lamb and there's been a lot of 88s here that have won. Like, who cares? Like, I, 88, 88 holds a lot of a lot of uh, uh, prestige with the Cowboys, and I agree with that. But like, if CD doesn't want to wear it, like, like when Dez came in, he wanted to wear 88, right? CD is like, I don't. I want to wear number 10. So let the guy wear number 10. Yeah. Look, I honestly don't care. Yeah, I figured you didn't. I don't. What the only thing I my main question was when I saw uh cd when he's gonna wear 88 when dez signs with the cowboys is dez gonna demand 88 back like we're gonna have locker room fight right off the bat i think that's uh putting nails in the coffin on on dez coming back to the cowboys well he's been throwing he's been working out with dak during this whole time and dak's been finally throwing him the ball something he didn't do when he was a rookie so now they're finally developing that rapport when he's been out of the league for two years and just all signs point to to as in the Cowboys, like things are back, but now the one roadblock is that his '88 jersey is taken away. Yeah, I don't know. I like I said, I don't think Dad's coming back anyway. Watching that guy run, he looks like he's got cinder blocks tied to his feet. Um, but I just thought it was kind of like a, a weird, a weird thing in general, like the like Jerry Jones saying, "Oh yeah, my friend who was a wide receiver wore '88 at Arkansas. He passed away. His last name was Lamb, so I want you to wear it." Like, hey, look, thanks, but no thanks. I'm gonna grab number ten. And I'll see you out on the field, uh, uh, Mr. Jones, but uh, appreciate you drafting me. And when does an owner decide decide what number you wear? Nobody else but Jerry. Nobody else. Uh, so I think this kind of happened with the Browns, but not owner-related. I think Jedrick Wills wanted to wear 73. Yeah. Which was Joe Thomas's number. 
Joe Thomas said he could wear it, but the coach was like, nah, you're not going to wear that. You can wear yeah. any other number. So he decided on 71, which I think he's fine with. But because the first, all the photoshops came out with a number 71. Mm-hmm. And so I think he was fine with that. But still, like, just the owner, like, giving you a number. Yeah. Is, like, only the Cowboys. Exactly. So and I also, they were saying about the jerseys is the NFL is very particular about like jerseys being retired. Like there's only so many numbers that position groups can wear. Right. So they like don't want a lot of numbers retired. So like 88's retired twice by the Cowboys. Yeah. It's like ceremoniously, like, but not actually. Michael Irvin. So they both wear right. it. Yeah. So, and they can wear it whenever. I don't get the 88 thing, but whatever. And plus, too, like, C.D. Lamb, like, like uh, Dez and Michael Irvin and even Drew Pearson for his time, like, they were bigger wide receivers. You know, I mean, I think I think C.D. Lamb, he's going to look weird wearing that 88 when he's kind of a smaller dude. You know, I think he's only, like, 6'1", 6'2", but he's he's a lot – he's got a smaller frame than those guys. Like, Dez would have been – like, or, excuse me, uh, like, T.O., that's the type of, type of guy I would think to wear 88, you know, like that kind of body frame, or Dez. You know, obviously, T.O. wore 81 uh with the cowboys but just just like that that kind of bigger possession wide receiver like i said in the grand scheme of things it means nothing but uh i just thought that was like you said a weird story because it was the owner so jerry's now owner gm president and equipment manager number decider yeah equipment manager number decider is there anything else that we forgot Uh, who the original 88 is six feet tall oh really yes but but like he kind of didn't he, he I mean he was I guess he was kind of thin but I mean he had a bigger frame I feel like maybe it was his shoulder pads that made him look bigger yeah his shoulder pads look better but he's six foot he's okay. a pretty pretty small dude yeah. comparative comparative okay yeah he could have been big back in when he was playing in the... right yeah like I said for so... his time maybe his seventies he might have been a bigger dude um, but yes. uh, and then did you see uh, so Cole Beasley's going back to eleven with with. Uh, the Bills, there's a couple people pissed off because they just bought Cole Beasley number 10 jerseys. Uh, but uh, who uh, who did the Vikings just take as a wide receiver? Justin Jefferson. Was it him? <laughs> Maybe it was him. Maybe it was their third. Oh, no, no. It was um, uh, Courtney Donald Davis. Mitchell? No, no, no. It was Courtney Davis. He came in and took 14 right off, right after Diggs bounced. People were like, geez, they, didn't, they said that thing was still warm, and he just came in and took in the 14 from Diggs. Who took 14? Courtney Davis. Oh, I thought it was Dylan Mitchell. No, <laughs> maybe the practice squad 14. <laughs> um, uh, okay, look, there's still, look, I don't understand why. Oh, the thing was Colin Sexton came in the, the, the minute after Kyrie's got traded, and he put on number two. Yeah. And they're like, they didn't let the body dry. Or the, the, the same thing as Diggs. Like, the body's still dead over there at number two. You're going to let Colin Sexton wear number two after the guy at the biggest shot in the in the franchise history. Now, I did see somebody for um, – so, Hollywood Higgins switched to 81 for the Browns. But who – did Ozzie Newsom wear 81? Or somebody wore – You Newsom wore 82. 82, okay. Oh, and that's what that's what Higgins is switching to is, is 82 because Hooper got 81. I thought Higgins said he was going to 81. Okay, maybe I got that backwards. The biggest Browns jersey fiasco was when Corey Coleman, there was debate to Corey Coleman wear 19 because that's what Bernie Kosar wore. Like, fans were outraged that Corey Coleman was wearing 19. I'm dead serious on this. 
like the Corey Coleman was like, he's not allowed to wear 19. That's Bernie Kosar. Yeah. So, so Higgins going back to 82. Okay. Maybe that's okay. Yeah. That's yeah. Cause Austin Hooper is taking 81. Okay. You should have signed earlier. Yeah, exactly. Losing out on that. Um, boy, tough. Um, tough, tough stretch there that he's wearing, uh, that he lost out his number. Well, actually, 82 was his college number, so that's what he wanted, I guess. Okay, I don't know who wore 82 when before he was there, but I think the Cowboys were interested. I was doing some reading on Higgins. The Cowboys were checking him out for a third receiver. I think they they might have been in on him before the CeeDee Lamb um, thing, but I think they were in on him for uh, a third or fourth receiver. Who was the other wide receiver, the kind of quick slot guy that the Browns had? Taylor Gabriel? No. Last year, it was just last year. Uh, slot guy? Maybe. I used to always get him and Higgins mixed up all the time. Um, I don't Maybe know. even before Odell. Maybe it was the season before Odell. Higgins, uh, Landry, they had 2018. Oh, Brashad Perriman? No, it wasn't him. It was a guy that kind of has Higgins got in legal trouble. Oh, oh Antonio Callaway. Antonio Callaway. As soon as I said that, it came to my head. Antonio Callaway. Yeah. All you got to mention is legal trouble and Antonio Callaway. Yeah. Those things are like <laughs> peanut butter and jelly. They go right together. <laughs> and I legal trouble. I should say that was in college. He didn't really. Well, no, he had the he's had weed. Yeah, he, he got, got a bunch of weed and or failed a drug test. The pots. Yeah. Um, all right. You got anything else before we wrap I, up? I think that's it. I think that's it for today. All right. Yeah, that is it for today. We will be back on Monday. Uh, hope everybody enjoys their freedom, right? Isn't that what they're calling it? We're free. Yeah. Free yeah. at last. Free at last. Free at last. Uh, look, if you, I'm still going to wear a mask out there. Are you on yeah. a mask rain yet or not? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, the, the, the week after you shamed me, or like the, that, that week that you shamed me for not having one, I went and got, got one. And I got, I got like the, uh, the reusable one, Yeah. but, but I, you can buy filters that you have to change every seven days. So I went the extra step. Like you, you slide filters in, in and out. So it's not just a cloth one. I was, I was at Eatsy's on Tuesday. No, Monday. There were 10, 15 people in the store. Like two of us were wearing masks other than the workers. Now, see, here in Princeton and in McKinney, you, if you're not wearing a mask, you're like a leper. That's the thing. I could not believe that. Trader Joe's, when I was there last week or whatever, everyone was wearing a mask. They wouldn't let a guy in if he wasn't wearing a mask. Really? Yes. Um, are you in, are was, you in Dallas the, County? Yeah, I'm in Dallas County. Okay. The Eatsies I went to, though, was in Collins. Oh, okay. Um, but yeah, all the other things, it's been like, have like all mask, all man. And then I went there and like, no one was wearing a mask. And I was like, what are you? I'm not the bad guy. You're the bad guy. Yeah. I'm, hell, I'm protecting you. You're not protecting me. Uh, so I saw your picture of, of uh, the dude selling masks <laughs> on the side of the road. Right <laughs> up the road here. Um, it's so crazy. So there's like a food truck that just stays parked right up the road on 380. It's pretty good. It's like a hibachi food truck. It's fire. But then next to it, there's been like these people for like the last, I don't know, like two or three months. They just post up and put these like canopies and sell shoes, like probably bootleg shoes or, or stolen shoes. And then 
the last two weeks, they've been selling masks and hand sanitizer there. Amazing. The, the, so this was at the corner of Webb Chapel and Beltline. He was not there, so I saw the video on Wednesday. Uh -huh. Or took the picture on Wednesday. He was not there Thursday. I uh, wonder if he got I'm ran not out. not going to drive by there today. <laughs> but look, as I said, I respect the hustle. Yeah. Shout out to him. You got to do what you got to do. Um, yeah, got to do what you got to do. All right, we'll be back on Monday. We will review the Cowboys week five, excuse me, 2013 game against uh, the Denver Broncos. 51 to 48, a lot of points. A lot of points. That's what we like, baby. A lot, a lot of points. All right, so we'll talk to you on Monday.